Greetings, and welcome to another Battleground PA podcast. This is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor and host of Battleground PA. And we've got a great show for you today. Um, we're not only going to talk about the coronavirus and the presidential elections, but we have with us today Eugene De Pasquale, who's running for Congress. And we also, of course, will have our normal analyst, Rajette Harris, and, of course, Jeffrey Lord. But there's a surprise with Jeffrey, and I'll tell you more about that when we come back. This is Battleground PA, a Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Hello, we're back, and I first want to make sure you know in our studio we have Rajette Harris. Hello, Rajette, our hey. Democratic analyst. And we have with us a special guest, Eugene De Pasquale, who's running for Congress. Hello, Eugene. Hey, good morning, and thanks for having me. This is really exciting and looking forward to the discussion. Wonderful. But we want to start first a little bit, just for a little bit, with Jeffrey, because Jeffrey's not in the studio Jeffrey is joining us from home. And Jeffrey, I'm going to, first of all, ask you how you're doing and you explain why you're not with your dear friends here. Well, I, and I, I am sorry I'm not there with my dear friends because I always enjoy doing this. But I went to CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which I've been going to off and on since 1974 <laughs> when I had no gray hair. And I came home on Saturday. I was there from Tuesday through Saturday, Saturday being the 29th of February. And the president himself was there, was the last speaker, and then everybody went home. Following Saturday, which is to say just the other day, around 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I and every other person, and there were, I mean, last year there were about 19,000 people there, and it was sold out, so I assume 19, 20,000 people, got an email from the American Conservative Union saying that one in our midst, had been diagnosed with the coronavirus This person unnamed was from New Jersey and that we should know. And they were working with the Maryland department of health. This event was held at the national Harbor, et cetera. Well, okay, fine. My late mom all my life used to say, Jeffrey anticipate. <laughs> so I made sure I was all uh, shopped up and everything like that. The health people are saying a two week uh, sure. quarantine so I'd already passed the one-week mark. I feel perfectly fine, but I thought it's just not uh, a good idea. No, it's wise. To it's be going out. Yeah. To, 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 well, let's, we're going to come back to this because I want to know a little bit more about okay. what you know about the guy. But let's welcome Eugene Pasquale because we want to actually get in and talk to him a little bit about this uh, congressional race that he's running for. And, uh, and we'll all chime in and ask him questions, but let's just let him have the platform here for, or the microphone here for a little bit. Eugene, welcome again. Why? 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 You have a good job, right? <laughs> you have a fun job. You're doing a lot of good things with your job. Why Congress? Well, a couple of years ago when the federal government shutdown happened, you know, look, and our member of Congress, he was one of the ones that helped lead that federal government shutdown and actually said he didn't know a single federal worker that lived paycheck to paycheck. And it was one of those things, you, you, so you begin to think, what are you going to do in the next phase of your life? And I believe Washington, D.C. is broken. Nobody talks to each other. Nobody's crossing the aisle. Nobody's trying to get stuff done. They may say in their press releases they want to do it, but I haven't seen any action on that. And my record as Auditor General is one of holding powerful people accountable, 
but also finding ways to get government to work better, whether it was finding the 3,200 untested rape kits and now bringing some of those creeps to justice, 58,000 unanswered phone calls at the child abuse hotline. Um, Now kids are better protected in Pennsylvania, finding a billion dollars wasted by Harrisburg and auditing our school districts all over Pennsylvania, not only to make sure kids are safer, but also to make sure that more resources are getting to the classroom. I decided that Washington, D.C. could use that type of leadership. It's going to be up to the voters, but that's that's the why. So you want to get in there and do some stuff. You want to drain the swamp, right? Well, it, <laughs> well uh, by the way, there is an aspect of that that is mm-hmm. absolutely critical. Um, but this is it starts off with like you've got to go down there and, yes, want to get stuff done, whether it be health care, mm-hmm. climate change, a whole host of issues. But to me, we've got to stop the competing press releases and actually try to get something done. I got it. Morgette, let me bring you in. Then, then Jeffrey, you're going to have your chance to retort. But Clearly, I think the Democratic, uh, at least the Dauphin County Democrats, if not the Democratic Party in, in Pennsylvania, endorsed Eugene. So tell us why you guys took that step and, and why you're you're backing him for Congress. I want to talk a little bit about the 10th Congressional District. Okay, um, What's really exciting about it is when the lines changed a couple of years ago, we have a chance to actually have representation um, in this district. Scott Perry does not respond to phone calls. He doesn't respond to emails. He's invited to many events. I will say we've issued an invitation for him him to come on Battleground PA. We haven't got the response yet. Right. And he was in the mid-state just yesterday. He was at the Hershey Med Center regarding the, you know, the coronavirus uh, virus. But even bipartisan organizations, he doesn't attend forums. And a lot of times elected officials forget that they're there to represent the people who elect them. And uh, one thing I can say about Eugene, even as a statewide elected official, he is accessible and he does respond to his voters. And that's one of the main reasons why he got the endorsement. Jeffrey, I, I tell you, I can't feel the, figure that out either. I moderated a, a forum put on by a, a wonderful group of people there in Camp Hill. And uh, they invited Scott Perry and they invited Eugene DePasquale and they invited Tom Breyer and the two Democrats showed up. But the sitting um, person didn't show up. What is that about? Not that you have to defend <laughs> Scott Perry, but I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts. I, I certainly know Scott Perry. I like him a great deal. I, 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 you know, have no idea what the story is. Doubtless they have another side to their story as to why and where he shows up and all of this kind of thing. And I have to say, if somebody worked for both a congressman and a senator, both from Pennsylvania, Bud Schuster and John Hines, this kind of thing always goes on. They get uh, inundated with invitations and they accept some and reject others. And the rationale is always up to the congressman or senator or their staff of the moment. That's fairly typical, I think. So, I mean, I just would prefer to see this cast on issues. Yeah, issues, but, but you got to get the people I, around the table to talk about the issues. You got to get all of them. Rajette, go ahead. Well, and kind of counter what Jeffrey just said. You're right. It is about the issues, Jeffrey, but you have to remember why they're elected. They're elected to represent their district in Washington, and they can't represent their district if they're not talking to their voters. So you do have to show up to find out what issues are important to the people you're representing to be able to actually represent them. So I understand they can't attend every event. But you do have to show up. Well, we're going to keep trying to get Scott Perry. But right now, we've got Eugene DePasquale. So let's <laughs> let's zero in on this. Listen, if you want to join the conversation, you can do so at Battleground PA on Facebook and Twitter. And you can send us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.com. 
org. And we would like to hear your ideas and your feedback on what we're doing. So please do. And if you haven't subscribed, do so, please, now. <laughs> okay, Eugene, let's delve down yeah. a little bit more into your top issues. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about a lot of things that you've done. Right. You certainly haven't been a lazy order the general. Right. You've right. done a lot. So when you focus in on what you want to get achieved when you head to Congress, what are those top issues? The number one area would be health care. You know, for some people out there, probably not aware of my personal family story in this, but I had a brother with muscular dystrophy. So I was a freshman in high school when we found that out, and he passed away my first year of night law school. He was actually a sophomore at Pitt. We were never able to have health insurance for him. So obviously, you know, the human part of this is... And I have to say, during this coronavirus, I mean, I want everybody to have healthy care. Uh, (laughs) Everybody needs to be healthy, right? Because we all get sick. That's exactly right. So, I mean, I saw beyond the human side and the family side of this, the financial devastation that happens when you have someone who has that type of an illness or any type of illness where they can't get health insurance. And that's one thing I want to go down there and try to make sure that everyone has access to health insurance. So you're for universal health care? Y- yes, absolutely. Now, how are you going to, would, would people be able to keep their own policy and it's like health care for those who want it or what? How, That's right. It, so okay. my view on this is everyone gets to keep their plan that they like, but allow everyone to buy into Medicare. Um, so as a way to compete with some of the private plans. And then we can also have enrollment in the Medicaid for those that can't afford any of those options to make sure that we're getting to universal health care. I think that's a win for everybody. I think it's a good win for the economy and for people that like their private plan, they get to keep it. But health care is the number one driver of an issue that we're talking about. Also, as Auditor General, look, I've audited these pharmacy benefit managers that are basically making fist loads of money off the Pennsylvania taxpayers, and we are not getting any corresponding cut in our prescription drug prices. Even local pharmacists can't even tell a local you know, customer what's the cheapest way to buy their prescription drug because of these current contracts that I've exposed. There's now bipartisan legislation moving through the mm-hmm. legislature to fix this because of my audit. I want to also go down to D.C. This is an area where I think if the president is reelected, where I know we could work together because I do think that we need to allow the federal government to negotiate for better prescription drug prices. Yeah, this because that's one of that's, that's one of uh, President Trump's issues as well, isn't it, Jeffrey, Tr- trying to bring down the cost of prescription drugs? Yes, it is. He's talked about it quite a number of times. And I know that before the whole coronavirus thing that he was working with the various pharmaceutical companies to see if they could figure out something. But in the current situation here, I had to laugh. Somebody who was not a Trump fan posted a picture of a meeting in the cabinet room and they they had drawn arrows, not a doctor, not a doctor, not a doctor. Well, the reason for it was they were all pharmaceutical company executives who were there to discuss how they could work together to, you know, get this solved. So, you know, he certainly is working on the situation. So, so that's, a, that's a bipartisan. This is a difficult issue. Right. That's a bipartisan. But, but that's one place where you think you could work across the aisle and get something actually achieved. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, my work as Pennsylvania Auditor General has shown there's a bipartisan way to do this. My audit exposed this. And actually, the Republican-led Pennsylvania House of Representatives passed a package of bills, not just based on my audit. There's other information as well, but my audit helps helps push that forward. But that universal health care is going to be something that's going to be hard, if they, right? I mean, getting Republicans on board, Jeffrey? Yes, yes. I mean, the, the central, I mean, to, to boil it down, the central Republican objection is that this reduces the, the quality of care. And but there's no care. <laughs> but, but I mean, I guess and, the, the argument is there's quality well, of care yeah, and there's but you no don't care, wanna, right? 
if somebody has good health care, you don't want to make their health care right. suffer because, right. you, you know, so, you know, being a uh, Reagan Kemp free market person, I mean, I just believe the more competition, the better here. Right. Uh, that once you start to get government involved, that the quality of the care can go down. Yeah, Rosette, this is a democratic issue too, right? Well, we have that debate right now with our presidential candidates. Do we want the public option, which we just spoke about, or do we want Medicare for all? But when we also talk about prescription drugs, we can't forget about the money that's involved in that and involved in these elections. Um, I'm a big believer when we talk about the system is broken, it's because a lot of these politicians are, are bought by these large firms, particularly mm. those with mm. prescriptions. Right. You're not they taking have any prescription terms of money, are you, yeah, Eugene? No, we're not taking any money from <laughs> right. big pharma, although right. that's... You know, but there are a lot that are. Oh, we yeah. can't deny Absolutely. that, and it, it gets in the way of the issue. Absolutely. But I do it think does. it's important, at least for me, that this is not an either-or option. It's not... I, mm. I, I do think that we've got to keep the best of the American system. We have some of the best hospitals, best doctors, got some of the best scientists, some of the best research. We've got to keep that. So we've got to keep that. And if competition helps spur that forward, I think all the better, while at the same time making sure everyone has access to that care. Got it. Okay. So we've got health care. We've got the big pharma. What's your third issue? Is that that? I think I've heard you talk about criminal justice reform. Well, climate change and criminal justice reform okay. are clearly you know, other drivers for me. I think climate change is the, the seminal issue of our times. I mean, and again, I think we've got to address this the way that's both good for our economy and our environment, but clearly this needs to be addressed. When I was a state legislator, I passed an Alternative Energy Investment Act, had almost three-quarters of the Republicans in the legislature vote for it. So I know how to build those bridges to get something done when it comes to climate change and clean energy. And criminal justice reform, again, another critical issue for me. Uh, most people out there are probably not aware. I'm the only child of a you know, convicted felon in statewide office in the United States. My dad was wounded in Vietnam got addicted to bad painkillers, which eventually led to uh, significant addiction and, and trafficking and a uh, ten and a half year prison sentence. He's now out now doing great. But it also leads me to, you know, we've got to, when it comes to mandatory minimum sentencing for nonviolent felons, we have to figure out a way to give judges more flexibility to take the facts of the case. But we also, more important than that, is that we've got to treat drug addiction like the disease it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. It is ripping apart families, putting all these people that are having an addiction problem incarcerating, and we're not even making our communities you any know, we, safer. You know, we say that. People say that uh, treat as a disease and take the stigma away, but it's harder yeah. than that. I mean, even those who have compassion and all right. still find themselves going back to that, oh, they're druggies or, you yeah. know, and treating it like a, crim a crime. Yeah. I mean. It's the easier path. It, right. it is an right. easier path. Just lock them up. It's yeah. an easier path, but it doesn't fix the problem. That's that's very true. So, um Jeffrey, any thoughts on, on, on this criminal justice reform issue? How is that going to go over with Republicans? Uh, very well. I, I, I have to tell you, mm -hmm. when I was at CPAC, I had the opportunity to hear Alice Marie Johnson, who was pardoned by President Trump, an African-American woman. And she's out campaigning for him, right? And she, absolutely, mm -hmm. she is. My friend Van Jones has been leading the way on this and working together in a partnership with uh, Jared Kushner. President's son-in-law, who was the senior advisor in the White House, and they actually got this first step program done 
and got it signed into law, and they had a ceremony at the White House. It was terrific. There's another handshake right, that right. can be done across the aisle with, with if Eugene becomes exactly uh, right. And the yeah. president, I know, is mm-hmm. all too willing to 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 get something done on this. Right, right. Very proud of that achievement, and so let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Okay, so I'm going to have to break here, but when we come back, we'll delve a little bit more into Eugene's uh, platform, those those key issues that he's talking about, and then we're going to get on to what's going on with the presidential, at least with the Democrats on their side. And then we're going to talk Corona. Okay, let's resume our discussion. We have Rajet Harris. We have Jeffrey Lord at home uh, under self-quarantine. Wonderful guy to not want to spread whatever he might not have, we hope. <laughs> and, of course, we have a congressional candidate and Auditor General Eugene DePasquale. And if you want to join our conversation, you can do so at Battleground PA on Facebook and Twitter. And you can send us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Why don't you join us, join the conversation and subscribe, please. Okay, you've, you've got health care, Eugene, you've got climate change, you've got the criminal justice yeah. reform and big pharma. Is there any other thing that you really want to make sure people know you're going to work for? From an overall economic standpoint, I think we've got to make sure that the economy is fair for everybody, that everyone's getting an equal shot. I don't think the tax code and I, is, is fair to everybody. We've got to give working families, middle class families a fair shake at things. Uh, and that stems into a lot of areas. You know, prescription drugs, healthcare costs certainly uh, fall into that. I also think, you know, this is where raising the minimum wage, I think, could help lift a lot of boats. What would you to, want to raise the minimum wage to? I'd want to phase it in to eventually get to $15 okay. an hour. I know we you, you can't do that overnight, mm-hmm. but we've got to eventually get there. Um, I also think this is where, and I've talked about making public colleges more affordable and reforming the student loan industry to make sure that people can handle the debt when they come out. So I, you know, I think targeted approach like that can help working families, middle-class families. And we, another area, and I've done this as Auditor General, is we've banged away at the workforce development and retraining programs that I think need to be significantly retooled to meet the, the, the changing nature of our economy. We also, for people that college isn't the path, there are some great opportunities. Dauphin County Technical School, your county school of technology where people can get trained in a tremendous skill and have a great career moving forward. We've got to do a better job of promoting those type of programs as well. Well, that, well that, that's good. It's not as, not as bold as Bernie would want, but go ahead, Rochette. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to mention the statistic. The Brookings Institution uh, study just this past January found that 44% of all U.S. workers are barely earning enough to live. Yeah, and yeah. we always talk about the economy and we talk about jobs, but we don't really talk about the quality of those jobs. And a lot of the jobs- You do. You, yes. You bring I it do. up every single day. That's, a, that's I do. right. Yeah, and that's should. a big thing yeah. with me because it's not just about having a job. It's having a job that you're able to take care of your family. Right. And a lot of times we, you know, we talk about these numbers and we talk about the numbers are down and the economy is booming. But we don't look at the quality of the lives of 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 the residents. Well, of that, you know that's a good point, and and, and I will tell you the thing that killed, we just did um, a, an editorial, you know, on the violence in Harrisburg and the shootings and why this is happening. And you know, I I I have to stop and think about some of those young men out there, you know, don't have 
uh, families and mm. that can really rein them in at the age of 14, 15, 16. Young men need strong hands, mm. right? To get, and some of the mothers, it's not that they're good, not good mothers. They're working hard. They can't afford to work one job because it doesn't pay enough, you know? There is, uh, look, and you don't want to sit and be get off my lawn guy, but when we were growing up, I mean, you had neighbors that were home. So if, even if your parents were out, there were people looking out. And again, you know, the some of the physical abuse that was tolerated, obviously that's unacceptable, but there were still people around to keep an eye on you and right now especially if you have a single mother but it's almost any family they're working so hard just to scrape by and when you see people go down that path of violence again let's just assume for instance it's not some psychological Mm -hmm. issue it's usually because they've given up hope that they view this as as a better path and that's a problem when you have that many young people have given up hope we have and again this is from my role as Auditor General, we found this, and I think this is a pretty clear statistic, that 10% of teenagers have contemplated suicide. Oh, my it is goodness. a yeah. horrifying yeah. statistic. There is clearly something wrong you know, with our culture, social media, where so many of these young people are, are feeling that desperate, that lost. Well, people we, we've like got to reach out to them. Yeah, people like me would say they've lost the spiritual dimension of yeah. lives too, but go ahead, Richard. Well, a lot of them feel left behind. Yes. And yeah. there is a lot of focus on the, the middle class, the upper class, but there isn't a lot of talk about the working poor. Yeah. You know, I was raised by a single mother as well, but because she worked, she couldn't get some of the same help and benefits as as others. So there's that group, and if you notice that group also, the working poor doesn't vote as much either yeah, that, as that's, the others, that's and, that, and it's because yeah. there's no focus yeah. on them yeah. and their needs and and their wants and, yeah. and the, the help that they need. Well, Rajet, and just to follow up on that, Jeffrey, I'd be curious on your point of view too. Is there, even Ronald Reagan talked about the earned income tax credit is one of the uh, best Don't ways. Don't bring up Ronald Reagan; uh, he's going to go berserk uh, now. Go. Uh, <laughs> But that, but I think Reagan, but I think Reagan understood, and I look. Yep. I have certain disagreements with President Reagan, but yep. he understood that people that were working hard and just scraping by, they sometimes needed more of a hand up than anyone else because they were working hard to get it. And I think just just to piggyback off of what Rajette said, this is why I've talked about if there's one tax cut that I want to do, it's to basically expand the earned income tax credit to give the working poor an additional boost so they can go out and try to achieve the American dream. Okay, Jeffrey, I know you've got to chime in here with Reagan. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, well I, I would just say that just my and Ronald Reagan's certainly guiding principle is that when you give tax cuts to people, there is more, you know, and people get to keep their own money. You can produce more jobs, more good-paying jobs, et cetera, because the, the money isn't being siphoned off into government bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you help people help themselves. Uh, they, they've got to have uh, a living wage, and wages in this day and age have been going up in the Trump era, not going down, going up. So that's a good thing. And I just this just constantly keeps coming back to the principle for me is that when you tax people at a high rate, you know this Bernie Sanders thing, tax the rich, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not like this is going to regular working class folks. What it's doing is. It's going into Washington, D.C. and feeding these mammoth bureaucracies and paying people salaries in Washington of a hundred grand or more to work in some bureaucracy somewhere and and be spread out among Washington lobbyists. I think you got That's where the money goes. Go <laughs> you should see Rajat's I mean, it, it, is mu- it is much better for yeah. people 
right here in Harrisburg to be keeping their own money. Okay, Rajette, let's hear what you have to say about that. Well, first of all, the, the tax cuts that the Trump tax cuts aren't going to the working poor. They're not going to a lot of the middle class. They're, they're going to the, the higher cl- upper class, number one. And number two, studies show that people don't mind paying taxes if they get something out of it. For instance, I'll pay my taxes if I get health care, if I can get tested, if I can go to good quality schools. You know, if the potholes in front of my house are, are clear, so I don't have to buy new tires every six months. So it's what people are getting for their money. That's certainly, more so true. That's certainly than, true around the world that, yes. you know, in some of the Scandinavian countries are their tax tie, but they've got a quality of living, a quality of health care that I think many people would envy. So, well, let, let, let's do what, this. If, if, Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeffrey. I know you're going to tell me I'm wrong. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I, I really would like to ask Eugene, because we, and we have talked about this before, talks about student loans and all of this kind of thing. I'd like to know to what degree you've thought about what I call big education. Mm. Why are these college educations so massively expensive in the first place? As I've said before, when I went to school, at Franklin Marshall, my parents were paying, and I was paying, uh, $4,000 a year, 16000 in all for four years. There's no way close to that. Yeah, now we, we at, actually, at, uh, and Jeffrey and I agree on that uh, one, so go ahead. Oh, and Jeffrey so, may so be, the question is why? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, you may be shocked that we probably agree more on this than we probably disagree. I mean, as the Auditor General, I've been examining some of the waste that exists, not at our state university systems only, but also... Pitt, Penn State, Temple, and Lincoln University, Pitt and Penn State, respectively. And I, as a master's degree from Pitt, and certainly Penn State, I'm a fan, but they are first and third in the nation for the cost of in-state tuition, which is absolutely outrageous. Part of this is, and I call it a perk war. This is a, a perk war that is existing among colleges all over the country. I went to the College of Worcester in Ohio, which is pretty similar to Franklin and Marshall, only we have a better nickname. You're the, uh, the, the, I think the diplomats and we're the fighting Scots. Yeah. So, we got, so we have a much better nickname. I'm um, in a much better helmet. I mean, football, when you're playing, I played college football. When you're a fighting Scott, you're getting fired up. I don't know when you're a diplomat, what do you say? We're going to go negotiate with, this is the battleground. We're going to go negotiate with Johns Hopkins. I mean, we're, come we're, on here. We try to be so diplomatic yeah, I, here. I, I, come on. You, you got to work on the nickname, but um, there is a perk war that's going on. But the perks uh, for who? The perks the, for the professors, the perks uh, for the uh, president. No, no, it's the dormitories. Oh, you, I see. If it's you the, were yeah. if you were to travel and see where yeah. you were staying as a room it, when you had a roommate mm. and see what the dormitories are like now, yeah. you would be stunned. And there's a cost to that. Now, having said that, look, the higher education is important. It's an important driver for both students. Yeah, but I think the question that Jeffrey's yeah. getting at is, the, isn't there a lot of waste in the salaries that, that are being paid to some of the presidents? I mean, things have just kind of escalated. Yeah. You've got people going off on sabbaticals yeah. and all. You know, I mean. Yeah, there's no question. That, and that's where there there is no question that there is waste in the system. And I also think that because of the way the student loan system has operated in about the t- last 10 to 15 years, there the the schools know they're they're going to get their money back no matter what. Yeah. So that they have you can't n- even bankrupt your way out of it. So <laughs> so that <laughs> they know? they know they're going to get paid. So there's yeah. no reason for them to hold down their cost of their exactly. tuition as well. Exactly. Exactly. So okay, let's we've we've talked a lot about this. Let's zero in now on what's happening with the Democrats. We're going to let we're going to let a Rajet predict <laughs> what's <laughs> going to happen today. Are we looking at Bernie just fizzling out, burning up? Or are we going to see 
um, him kind of surprise us again. Well, remember last week I said predictions. Yeah, I know, I know, but I'm going to make, definitely I'm gonna make you do it. <laughs> I mean, this is a delicate race. Mm. Um, so it's not just yeah. about winning the state. It's by the, the percentage that you win that state. But he don't you to, agree that if he doesn't really sweep it with Michigan, it's going to kind of take a lot of wind out of his sail? It's going to be harder, but yeah. I do see him going the distance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even if it's just to try to keep Biden you, from getting the delegates needed. I see. Do you have a preference, Eugene? Uh, Are you with one or the other? Yeah, I've made a commitment, uh, both in my auditor general, you know, people running to succeed me in the presidential race, that I'm not going to you know, formally endorse. Okay. Um, but I do think... Rajet has. A, I, I do think it's going to go to the convention that you know. No mm-hmm. matter how it shakes out, I do think you know Bernie will stay in this. But today, just as practical politics, it's a big. If he, if Joe Biden, Vice President Biden, has a big win in Michigan, the numbers are just going to get to be daunting. Right, right, right. Now, when you look at the candidates, though, do you see strengths and weaknesses? Oh. Why don't you analyze where you see the strengths and weaknesses um, for both of them? Well, oh, absolutely. And by the way, even the, some of the ones that just dropped out, I saw enormous strengths. I mean, any. One that gets this far in a presidential race has enormous strength. So, you know, that, I think Bernie has tapped into a lot of frustration that blue collar folks have had and young people have with the current system. I also think that when you also look at what people are talking about with their biggest frustrations with President Trump is I think Joe Biden is a pretty good matchup for that as well as it. You know, you take it if you want an adult in the room, someone who's going to bring steady leadership. I think that's, you know, his biggest Mm -hmm. asset. But I think Bernie has, to his credit, tapped into a lot of frustration, whether you like his solutions or not. Certainly, you know, that's debatable, but he's tapped into that frustration. Healthcare and the college debt and all. Yeah, that's that's a Bernie. Yeah. I actually think if you put them together because of their strengths and their weaknesses, for for example, Bernie actually offers a vision. Now, you might not like the vision, you might not agree with it, you might not think it's plausible, but he's trying to take the country to a different place. Mm. I think the weakness that uh, Joe Biden has is that he keeps talking about the past. Mm. And although, yes, uh, we all love President Obama and we miss you know, that cool demeanor, people mm-hmm. want to move forward. And mm-hmm. that's something that uh, Joe Biden is not offering. And that was one of the issues we had in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, what was her message? Yeah, well, what was got, she running on? I, I would say it's vision or safe stability, or you know, maybe that's what we're looking at. But let's let's leave this because we still have to talk about one more thing, and I've been told we only have two minutes, so we've got to talk about coronavirus. We've got to zero in on that. Now we we hit at it a little bit, Jeffrey. You're still doing okay there, right? I'm absolutely no fine. symptoms, right? <laughs> okay, want well, to make sure you're okay. But here's here's the thing: we we really don't have enough test kits. People are still complaining that the messaging is really not clear and that there's no... I mean, what's going on in Washington, Jeffrey? I mean, the president stepped up, said something, then disappeared. Then he was exposed to someone who had apparently the virus. He's not getting tested. Does any of this make sense to you? Because it doesn't to me. Yeah, I mean, I think he's doing, as you would expect me to say, but I really do think... Perfectly fine. But you're not uh, worried he, about he, he, him at all, having been exposed, though, to... to no. No, okay. No. No, I'm not. Okay. I, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, no matter who is president of the United States, when you come into a situation like that, like CPAC, you are protected to the nth degree. And to the degree that I understand his exposure, it consists of an, a handshake with uh, my friend Matt Schlapp, 
who's the head of the American Conservative Union, the head of CPAC. No, 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 no. And There's Matt another gentleman. There's another, what, senator or something who was there and who spent the day with him, was on the plane with him. And so he's had exposure to someone who was directly exposed to this guy who's got symptoms. I mean, I think this is all coming from the same source. In other words, I think the person I met mm-hmm. is the same person the senators met and the congressman met. And, uh, you know, a handshake and on you go. Okay. All right. And so you're not I worried about it. But- that all these people are doing the hand wash. And one other thing I can say about a personal thing with Donald Trump, mm-hmm. long before he was president, this is this is a true germaphobe. Right. That's what we've heard. He, yes. he, he, he wanders. He wanders around long before he was president mm-hmm. with the uh, uh, Purell. OK. Stuff, washing his hands every I mean, all the time. So believe me. <laughs> OK, well, listen, uh, let, you know, let's get on to, to the messaging, the communication. And also I want to get on to the the economic fixes that he's proposed. What I mean, let, let's hear from Rajat and from from Eugene. I mean, will really cutting the payroll taxes uh, work? I mean, I, I guess we'll see something today with the stock market. But what do you think, Eugene? Uh, the one idea that's been floated that I think is the best idea, at least in the short term, is to do some type of emergency paid family leave. Where, so but that's if, coming from the Democrats, isn't yeah, it? Well, uh, and as, that's not to say that the, the president's idea is bad, but I think if you want to try to nip this thing in the bud and try to help people look anyone that is an hourly worker or they're the working poor or they're struggling to get by if they're feeling a little sick we know this just in any other sick they're going they're to work going to work yeah. so if we yeah. have some type of paid family leave on an emergency basis i think that's a way to make sure that people are still getting money in their pocket and it's a way to try to nip this in the bud now putting more i i actually prefer a payroll tax cut as opposed to some, you know, tinkering with, uh, you know, marginal tax rates or whatever, because that would get money back in people's pockets because people are scared right now. Mm-hmm. But I think the the number one thing we can do is a paid emergency family leave. That's the best way to nip this in the bud. I also think we need to get these tests out there um, to, to facilities all over the yeah. United States. And I do think, and I know it's complicated, I know it's hard, but there needs to be more central communication so that everyone is exactly as close to possible should be on the really same really saying page. the same thing, absolutely. Yeah, Jeffrey, it. Jeffrey, um, do you disagree that maybe the um, paid family leave or, or allowing people to be paid for sick leave might be a little bit better than the payroll tax? What are your thoughts? Well, I I think you have to consider everything here. I, I just think we're in a unique situation here where everything has to be on the table to find the most effective way to fight this. I mean, the, the, the inevitable, sad but inevitable thing about something like this is two words, human nature. Right, that's <laughs> and right. there is, in something like this, always uh, an urge by some people to panic. And that's why I think the president has done a good job. I mean, they have these briefings every day. He's got one person in charge, the vice president. He's got all these medical people who know what they're doing. Uh, they're bringing in the pharmaceutical companies. You've got to solve the problem. Jeffrey, but, Jeffrey, you know, you know, the, the you know we, we love you. You know we love you. But the last thing you can get away with is telling us he's done a good job in communicating. That has been a business. As a former communications director for a city, the communication aspect of this from the president has been abysmal. Now, I that's not attacking him personally. It's just saying that hasn't worked. People are confused. They don't trust what comes out of his mouth. I mean, and that's but where some what, of the panic what, is but, coming but, from. But Joyce. Yeah, go ahead. Now, we, you know we, I love you. I know, you know I know I'm you do. <laughs> go ahead. You know what I'm going you know to say to you, and I'll give you a specific That you love example. Trump better. <laughs> 
in January, January 31st of this year, the president announced a travel, uh, travel restrictions from China. And what happened? The media jumped on him. Joe Biden accused him of racism. They said, you can't do this. This will backfire. This is a terrible thing to do. Now they say, oh, oops, he didn't act soon enough. Okay, we get that. And, and we before, get that. it was too soon and all that kind of and, and what I'm saying to you is the media, lots of people in the media that don't like the president are trying to weaponize this. No, no, as but a I'm not trying to, to weaponize it. And you know I'm not trying to. But what I am saying is there is a professional way. You've got to be able to speak to the people clearly directly I'm and you've got to, the to vice trust you every night okay not the president the vice president go but, ahead but i i do think well, he, that but this he's thing, the person they put in charge all right go ahead eugene but i do think this issue is another example of how washington is broken mm. there should have been and it should have happened a couple weeks ago but if it since it hasn't it should be happening right now where the president and the leadership of the congress is sitting down and, and not just competing press releases but negotiating a package right now and, and jeffrey's like look there's there's a lot of good ideas that are going to be out there but they've got to sit down and work it out this where when i actually talk about, eugene you've just raised the uh, was something i was gonna but yeah every we need to see as the average yeah. normal little american we need to see everyone working together nancy pelosi chuck schumer um Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, they should have a joint meeting today, televised, show the country, look, we're going to battle about health care, we're going to battle about climate change, whatever, but on this issue, we're all Americans, we're going to sit down and we're going to negotiate a package to deal with this. I think that, more than anything, would help calm the market. Now, I know you don't disagree with that, Jeffrey, right? We should all be work- shaking hands. No, well, not I, shaking I would, hands, don't shake hands. <laughs> Working together. Right? I, would just, I would just point out that the president just signed, a, what, an $8 billion yes. Uh, bill, funding bill, to deal with all of this stuff. So, I mean, he was not adverse. He proposed a certain amount. Others proposed a higher amount. He went with a higher amount. All right, Roger, so you wanted to th- add something. They're getting it done. That's cooperation. I was actually going to bring up that package, mm-hmm. um, but what's that money going to be used for? And that kind of brings us back to the communication aspect of things. A lot of the panic is because people don't understand not just what this is, um, but the money that they did pass, what it's going to be used for, for example, Hershey Med Center, they won't have testing kits for two to three weeks. So what to look for? Um, I don't even think some people realize the way to protect yourself is the things that you should have been doing since you were five years mm. old. You know, <laughs> cover your, your hands. Ma- wash your yeah. hands, cover your right. mouth when you cough, things of that right. nature. So it's those little things that could really help. Well, with that, I'm afraid we are going. I'm going to let Eugene say one final thing since it was supposed to be his show. And we (laughs) talked about a whole lot. But I also want to say that uh, Penn Live is taking this seriously. And we're going to be doing probably some live chats on Facebook about the coronavirus. So stay tuned for that. Eugene, you have the last word. Uh, Joyce, thanks for having me on. Thanks for Jet. Jeffrey, uh, looking forward to meeting you someday, certainly when, (laughs) when when you're all clear. But it's been an honor to be on here. Um, it's been an honor to be the Auditor General for the last seven years. It's Other than, I say, playing center field in the major leagues, I can't imagine a better job. But I think right now my leadership could be used in Washington to try to help bring our country together to try to address some of these critical issues. And I'm going to be working hard to earn people's votes. And coming on shows like this is a big part of that, too. So people get to know me, not just my ideas, but to get to know a little bit about me as well. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate your being here. Thanks again, Jeffrey and Rajette. And thank you for tuning in once again to a scintillating episode of Battleground PA. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? 
Tweet us at BattlegroundPA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org.